This is really spicy. Adam, be careful. Elon will put this in the cut. From the Jewish Food Society, I'm Amanda Dell, and this is Schmaltzy. For the past three years, the Jewish Food Society has produced Schmaltzy a live storytelling event where celebrity chefs, grandmas, tech entrepreneurs, and culinary mavens told personal stories about Jewish food. There were laughs. There were tears. There was a lot of nostalgia. And now we're sharing schmaltzy with you. Pull up a front row seat to hear the original live stories from the stage. Then we'll go behind the tales with the storytellers for more. Across the world, Yom Kippur 2020 will feel different. Our hope is that this storytelling podcast can bring us closer when many of us will be deeply missing time with our families and community. Today on Schmaltzy, Brooklyn's own Adam Richman, a classically trained actor who has appeared on close to 20 international TV shows, including Iron Chef, Best Sandwich in America, Amazing Eats, and Food Fighters. He is best known for his adventurous eating on Man vs. Food, In Adam Schmaltzy's story, he has a unique mission, to find the traditional Yom Kippur breakfast meal in Amish country. Here's Adam from the Schmaltzy stage, where he shared his story in front of 250 guests at the New York City Wine and Food Festival. I love that this is the one event at New York Food and Wine where you could definitely find a minion. (laughs) Like, no problem. I was born in Brooklyn, New York. But I always make the distinction that I wasn't born in the sort of cool periods where like Brooklyn is known in the zeitgeist. I wasn't born with like Jackie Robinson and trailers and two cents playing the steeplechase, though they did bring it back. And I wasn't born, you know, with like Interpol in Williamsburg with Tom's shoes and shared workspaces and quinoa bagels. Like, I wasn't... I, I grew up in an area, apologies to J.R.R. Tolkien, that my friends and I literally referred to as Middle Brooklyn. <laughs> a kind of purgatory period in the County of Kings when it was kind of famous for, well, nothing, really. And I went to a Jewish day school first through uh, eighth grade, then after school, ninth grade. And my folks got divorced when I was pretty young, so I spent the weekends often with my pop. And my first big boy errand that I remember was going to get bagels at a little tiny bagel bakery on Coney Island Avenue. I got my money, I got the, the shopping list, and I would go down to the bagel bakery. And it was like, and errands made this kind of little boy feel like a grown man. And I went, and I got bagels, and it became kind of a tradition because I didn't have that much time with my pop because of joint custody. I was at his joint, and then I was at my mom's joint. So, um, but it was usually right after temple. That was kind of the routine. But I have to say, growing up in middle Brooklyn and going to a Jewish day school and, you know, friends with every Lara, Dara, Farah, Mara, Jody, Mindy, Wendy, Ethan, Seth, Michael, Andrew, y'all know I'm right. I just... Being a a Jewish kid from Brooklyn didn't seem that cool. And then 
Run DMC dropped tougher than leather. And, and I wanted to be a B-boy, and I rocked Adidas shell toes. And when my mom wasn't looking, I kind of sport a sag in my jeans a little bit and rocked my backpack across at one strap. And the Beastie Boys were big. I mean, it was three Jews, two of whom were named Adam. And they were, like, big in hip-hop. And I was like, I wanted... Oh, that's what I want to do. And then one Hanukkah, I got a Fender Stratocaster, and I, and I got really into the Smiths, and I sort of moped a bit and wore a crystal and buttoned my shirt all the way to the cuff and the collar and had a bi-level haircut over one eye and just, <laughs> every day is like Sunday. And really, I wanted to be like a rocker from Manchester. And I still, I wanted more. I wanted another experience than Alex P. Keaton and Family Ties when the sort of preppy aesthetic was in. And everybody had the uh, J. Crew catalog, you know, with like all those people where it said like jacket page 72, belt page 56, and they're all like laughing at something in the distance. Like, and like, oh, I got the barn coat. I got the mule coat in Sage. And I wanted to be a preppy. And still I wanted more. And yet every high holidays... It was always the bagel. You would go through the Yom Kippur tradition of prayer, fasting, carbs. It was always the thing, right? You break a fast with bagels and schmear. It was always the thing. And it was like the flavors that I always kind of came back to no matter where I was. But still, kind of just being a Jewish kid from Brooklyn wasn't enough. I needed another experience. I went to college in the South. Suddenly, phrases that should never have been in a Jewish kid from Brooklyn's vocabulary, like y'all and saying, do what now? Instead of I didn't hear you, slowly worked their way in. And I'm listening to driving and crying, bending my hats, chewing tobacco. Like suddenly, the sort of Northeastern Jewish doctor I thought I was ordained to be gave way to dreams of acting. I started acting all over St. Louis, Washington, D.C., San Jose, California, each time kind of code shifting and loving these other identities. Then I got fortunate enough to have the shows that I have and begun filming all over the world. And I would love to not just in a fake sort of chameleon way, but just loving this other, this other thing, I wanted more. And whether it was being sort of a salt of the earth, like farmhand or worker in the high plains of Texas, or being some kind of hippie hipster who puts a bird on it in Portland, Oregon, I had a rapacious appetite. And I was traveling all the time, all the time. In fact, I would have maybe four to seven days home a month. And that was a lot. I was going and going and going. And then one morning, I woke up in a room, and I looked around, and I remember looking at the molding and looking at the details of the room. And it wasn't uncommon for me to not remember what hotel or what city I was in. And I remember looking around going, all oh, right, this must be one of those like boutique hotels that they converted from an old apartment building, and they made it into a hotel. And I looked around, and it was my room. I no longer recognized my home. Here on the Schmaltzy Podcast, we have the chance to dive deeper into the voice behind the story. Before we go back to Adam's story, he joins us from Brooklyn. Hey, Adam. How are you? Thanks for having me. Doing well. Thanks so much for being here. So, you studied the art of sushi, attended the Yale School of Drama, named the best sandwich in America, and traveled around the world. Indeed. Are you finally taking a break now that we're in the midst of a global pandemic? I, I'm trying to take a bit of a break, but I've recently tried to light a fire under my tush and try to do a little bit more 
And my green thumb is at an all-time high. I guess this is the next guys it's going to take is like Farmer Dan. Very on brand. What's your best crop? I have some cucumbers coming in soon. But right now, the jalapenos and the cabbage are primo. Can't wait for a recipe. <laughs> Jalapeno latkes, right? There we go. I want to take us back to the story. There you are, waking up in what seemed to be another hotel room. What were you feeling the moment you realized this wasn't a hotel, but actually your own room? <sighs> um, wow. Like the disorientation of, I don't know where I'm waking up right now, is already disconcerting enough. And then when you realize it's your home, that there's um, a real sense of kind of disconnect and a real sense of almost like um, sorrow is far too strong a word, but I think it is a little triste. I think we've all seen like those tropes about like the kid who becomes a rock star and then his friends don't recognize him and he's, oh man, you've changed, man. You know what I mean? And I realize, you know, you can't be a little bit pregnant. Like the business will change you to some extent. So for me, to go to a place where even home didn't feel like home, it's kind of like being in a hurricane with nothing to hold on to. Do you know what I mean? It's like, well, now what do I anchor to? And that is just the worst. Hmm. Sounds like you really missed home more than you thought you would. And speaking of home, mm -hmm. in the story, you mentioned that you're a quote unquote Jewish kid from Brooklyn. What exactly do you mean by that? I think being a Jewish kid in Brooklyn usually meant you were well-educated, had a profoundly strong sense of family and home life. There was always a little bit of a Hamish sensibility. So no matter how much a tough guy you were, you loved mom's brisket. When you were sick, you needed chicken soup and you needed a little kiss on the kepi. Let's, 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 let's be honest, people. You might want to be Billy Badass, but you're still a bubbler when it came time for it. Like, I'll never forget finding Grandma Rose and Poppy Freddy when we found the Afi Komen. It was also the same drawer of the Kit Kat. And like, oh, my God. But I think save for the films of Woody Allen and, like, the comedy of Jackie Mason, there wasn't a ton of things to point to New York Judaica and New York Judaism. There was Brighton Beach Memoirs, I guess, like the Neil Simon experience that he put in which was much more like my mother grandmother's generation than my own but it wasn't something that I necessarily thought it was cool and maybe it came from nine years of Hebrew school with the Shmuels and Orens and Galits of the world not dissing Shmuel Oren or Galit but my mom and I didn't have a lot of money and we lived in the Starrett City buildings and as such I was being exposed to a lot more culturally than I think a lot of my peers who lived in traditional, more Jewish enclaves like Midwood, Mill Basin, so on and so forth. So I was, you know, hearing Caribbean music, Haitian music. I was hearing hip hop. I was hearing reggae. I was hearing Frank Zappa, the Cramps, uh, the Ramones. So, you know, there is a world beyond Ofrahaza. There is a world beyond, wow, Rabbi Simkis can sing... I don't know alum to the tune of rock around the clock. It's cool, but there's other variants of that. And what about the food? What kind of cuisines were you exposed to growing up in that kind of environment? Well, in all honesty, I have to truly credit my upbringing with my current career because caponata wasn't like, ooh, I want like this Epicurean taste of Italy. I was just eating what Nikki's grandma made. I was having cold can and potatoes not because 
I wanted to sample the food of the Emerald Isle. It was what this Irish family made, kibbeh, shawarma, from the Syrian family. And my father, may he rest in peace, said to me, you don't have to finish it. You have to at least try it. And I remember he had a few uh, Chinese clients because his law office was near Chinatown. We went for dim sum. And I remember saying something was, was gross or ugly or whatever. My dad pulled me aside. He said, you know, that's not very nice. And he said, and how many things that we eat might they say is weird or wouldn't be nice? He said, chopped liver people may not like, a filter fish people may not like if they don't know it. And so, yeah, I was trying their foods. I was hearing their music, you know, and, and you just sort of get like this expansiveness, you know, in a much greater purview. And so many of my peers were like, oh, we're going to listen to Debbie Gibson and Billy Joel and whoever else comes from Long Island, basically. Sounds like your childhood really checked all the senses. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't always the best for sure. And there were some hard moments, but I have to say that we live in a world now where I think people reject a lot of what they don't know just because it's the other. And I think that my mother, as much as I'm sure she might have liked me to have long since found my own Shoshana Rosenbaum by now, I, I do think that it makes you a, a bigger and better person. And I think it bears noting that when you watch movies like Mississippi Burning, these people that were there trying to advance the civil rights movement were Jewish. And you look at Savannah, Georgia, this place that's rife with the history of American slavery, one of the people most credited for the survival of the early colony and the early settlement of Savannah was a Jewish doctor. So I love the fact that there's this interconnectivity now. You talked about a wide range of identities that you tried out. What did the character of Alex P. Keaton from Family Ties have in common with the Beastie Boys? That's an excellent question. While I acknowledge that the Beastie Boys and Alex P. Keaton probably would never get along, and that Alex P. Keaton would probably hate the Beastie Boys. I think I appreciated his wit, his relentless pursuit of academic and uh, professional success and excellence. And, you know, my dad also rejected that sort of like hippie-ish kind of aesthetic. It was very much, you know, he was a lawyer, he wore suits, and he liked that I wanted to dress very Ivy League. And, you know, I was kind of told I was always going to go to an Ivy League school. And so I guess I was trying to dress the part for a very long time. So I think that Alex P. Keaton may have been who I was told to be. Beastie Boys unlocked who I could be. And then finally realizing you don't have to pick one lane. You're allowed an artist's palette from which to paint a much greater pastiche of self. Did the diverse world that you grew up in ever collide with your Jewish upbringing? You know, I remember my uncle telling my cousin very, like, very vividly saying, you know, you're marrying a Jewish girl. You, you are like, there's, this is not up for debate. And I'm a child of divorce. And my theory has always been, I think you're lucky enough to find someone who like loves you for who you are and encourage you to be the best person you can be. And you support one another, trust one another, build each other up that to put restrictions of age, race, religion, height, hair color, eye color, whatever seems to be foolish and arbitrary. My folks are both Jewish fought bitterly and got divorced. So my mother, being an incredibly enlightened woman, in my opinion, encouraged that exploration. I remember dating an African-American woman, and she said, my mom even said, if you can, try to date a Jewish man. And I said, why did she say that? She said, because they have great relationships with their moms, and a guy with a good relationship with his mother will inherently be good to his lady. 
and they are intelligent and they've been raised with a very strong work ethic. And I want to be like, hey, no, oh no, you're totally right. That's 100% true. It's 100% true. Mom was like the one like, oh, good, done. I'm going to go play with Atari. And she's like, did you double check your homework? It's a neat, not, no careless errors. Uh, you know what I mean? So I think that that's very much, and I will say that a lot of my peer group, I'm honored and pleased to say they really have become really wonderful adults. And I feel a lot of that is a result of the way we're all raised. I think we'll go back to your story. See what happens when you wake up and realize where you are. Let's do it. Onward. I no longer recognize Brooklyn, and I couldn't understand how I got to be a person who didn't recognize Brooklyn. I am Brooklyn. Brooklyn, it goes through every pore. I can tell you about Ebbets Field and the polo grounds and the, the automat and Junior's Cheesecake and Michelin's Hot Dogs. How did I get to this point? And it resonated with me, and it really stayed with me. I didn't recognize my own room, my own home. So... I couldn't really linger in the moment. I had to go film. And it was around the high holidays, right around Yom Kippur. By the way, good yontif to everybody. <laughs> and we're filming in the Amish country. And here I was again on the road filming. And I had filmed uh, the previous two high holidays. And I just kind of accepted, well, this is kind of what the breaks are. If you want to do television, you want to do travel television, this is the sacrifice you have to make. And then I was like... How did I become that guy? Not just the guy who didn't recognize his own home, but who was the guy who had nine years of religious Jewish education, who loves his faith, who wears a Mog and David around his neck, and then suddenly is okay with missing the holiest day on the entire Jewish calendar. And it wasn't like I was in a bad environment. I was in what should have been a very comforting environment. It was a farm. It was Amish. It was warm. And yet I needed that connection. So I decided I was going to take part in the ritual of Tashlich. Uh, for those of you who don't know, it's when you purge your home and your pockets of the crumbs and you cast them usually into the water uh, with your sins uh, to purify for the new year. Usually you would do it with bread. I was in the Amish country. I used biscuits. So <laughs> I went outside and I kind of didn't want to be bothered. So I threw my headphones in and I went to throw my biscuits in this duck pond in Amish country. And a song comes on my music feature on my iPhone. I have no idea how it got on my phone to this day, and that is the God's Honest Truth. But it's a song by the Statler Brothers uh, called I'll Go to My Grave Loving You. My father took me to see the Statler Brothers, my first ever concert. And in his just-in-case letter, that he wrote to both me and my stepmom before he went into the hospital that unfortunately I had to read, he quoted a line from this song. And it says, I'll go to my grave loving you. And if I should live again, even then it won't end. For I'll go to my grave loving you. And naturally I cried and all the emotions sort of swelled up, but it also made me feel like Pop was like, yeah, you're on the right track now. And so I wanted to follow that thread, that thread kind of back home. So the next day was a travel day, and we were supposed to film somewhere else, and I was a, it was a driving travel day. So I told my PA, with whom I would do most of the road trips, I said, listen, I'm going to wake up early, and I'm going to go to a temple in town, and just meet me afterwards, and then we'll drive. 
So I looked on Google, I found a temple, and I must confess, I chose the temple because it looked like Temple Bethel on Avenue T in Homecrest Avenue, where Rabbi Listokin gave me Hershey bars, made me the man I am today. <laughs> wonderful ceremony and a wonderful service in, in, an, in a town with whom I have no familial tie, geographic tie, and my dear friend Jules came to pick me up, and he's El Salvadorian, Colombian. He, he doesn't really understand the tradition. And I finished, and I was like, yeah, this is, this is who I am, whether it was the rocker or the b-boy or whatever. It was always about the bagel with breaking fast. It was always that connection to what my family were probably doing on Long Island or Brooklyn or wherever they were, Florida. So we finish in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, finished services, and he goes to pick me up, and I said, Jules, we have to go get bagels. <laughs> and he's like, nah, dude, it's all good. Like, we'll just grab some breakfast on the road. I'm like, I'm not looking for breakfast. I'm looking for my way home. See, because the bagel was always there. The bagel was there as a rocker. The bagel was there as a b-boy, just like the Jewish boy was there under all of it, and what allowed me to sort of slide in and out of all these amazing identities was because the core was this Jewish kid from Brooklyn. And there I was on the same errand I had gone on as a boy, sent on it by my father to find my way back to being a Jewish kid from Brooklyn, which I think is a pretty cool thing to be. Thank you so much, Adam, for joining us today and sharing your schmaltzy story. It was a true pleasure. Thank you so very much. Thanks for letting me share my story. I hope you're having a happy new year. Yes, and you too. And everyone, please stay safe, stay well, and wear a mask. Schmaltzy is a production of Jewish Food Society, made with love in New York City. Send us your thoughts, comments, questions, and even your kvetching. Just record a voice memo on your phone and email it to hi at jewishfoodsociety.org so we can share it right here. Also, we're new around here. Be a mensch and rate us on the Apple Podcast app or wherever you get this show. Schmaltzy is produced and edited by Elon Benatar. Our executive producer is Nama Shafi, and our theme music is by Yuval Semo. Until next time, I'm your host, Amanda Dell. Bye.